Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Before we go to Genesis tonight, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. How do you know that your faith is genuine? How do you know anything is genuine if it has not yet been tested? In our uh, Sunday morning Bible study, we are studying the book of James. And uh, by the way, if you uh, don't have a Sunday morning Bible study, uh, we have a great uh, group that meets on Sunday mornings. And Aranda has a great group that meets with the ladies. And Dave has a great group uh, that meets upstairs. And Scott as well has a great group. And uh, we have a number of different adult Sunday morning Bible studies that we would encourage you to get involved with. It's a great way to get to know one another, to pray for one another. Uh, And anyways, as we study the book of James, we are looking at the ways that God tests our faith. And the book of James is a series of tests that God gives us to make sure that we are having genuine faith, that our patience is being tested and growing so that we can be mature. The book of 1 Peter is very similar to the book of James. It also is a series of tests. God reveals the way that uh, he tests us. And and some of those tests overlap, uh, but there are also some ones that Peter mentions that James does not mention. They're not, neither book is exhaustive in the tests that we face. And uh, none of the tests that I've experienced are exhaustive. Some of you have experienced tests that I've not experienced yet. I've experienced tests that you may not have experienced experienced yet, especially if you're not a pastor. Okay, We each have unique tests that uh, we go through that uh, determine whether we really believe the things that we say we believe. Now, James tells us that God tests us and tests our faith uh, to bring us to maturity. But Peter here reveals another reason that God will test our faith. Let's just pick it up in Uh, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Every time you see that word elect, uh, the, every time that, I've, that I'm aware of, the context always has to do with being chosen for service, that we are chosen for service. And we see that here in this verse as well, that we are chosen unto obedience uh, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse three says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven 
for you. I was at yet another funeral today, this one out of town, uh, a dear uh, man of God who um, was a friend of ours and had served as a, a deacon uh, in my dad's church for a number of years, served as a trustee, served for many years in the Awana ministry, and uh, a lot of talk about heaven and a lot of talk about the hope that we have, which we we'd still grieve. We grieve for the family. We grieve for the separation, but we grieve with hope because we know that his Dick's inheritance today is incorruptible, undefiled, and it fadeth not away. And he is receiving now even in heaven um, the reward that uh, Christ has purchased for him who are kept, verse five, by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice. You, you rejoice in your salvation, he says, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. So we want to be in heaven, but right now we're in heaviness. We have to deal with the heaviness of the trials that we face and the difficulties. It's just for a season to everything. There is a season, but those seasons can still be very long. Those seasons can still be very difficult. So why does God allow us if need be? Why are there times that we go through seasons? We go through seasons of joy and seasons of blessing, but we also go through seasons of trials. Seasons of heaviness, seasons of manifold temptations. Well, here's why. Verse seven, that the trial or the testing of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a gold that does not perish. We talked about that on Sunday morning, the gold that will line the street in the new Jerusalem is a gold that will not perish. But that's not yet a gold of this world. Even gold. Even gold. In this world, as precious as it is, as valuable as it is, and uh, uh, not a, a financial consultant, but uh, speaking just as a pastor, not as a financial advisor, I do think it's a good idea if you have some gold at this time. Uh, so you may want to invest some of your savings, some of your retirement in gold. Just a, just a thought. Now, I'm not an expert, okay? But even that gold will perish. It will fade away. But there's something even more valuable in God's eyes than gold is in our eyes. And that is the preciousness of our faith. But that preciousness... Just as as gold needs to be purified in fire, that precious faith that we have also needs to be purified with fire so that it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love in whom, though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory because you are receiving. We are in the process even right now of receiving the end of our faith even the salvation of our souls. The salvation, he goes on to say, that the prophets have written about uh, for thousands of years. And so we have this incredible gift of joy and a reason to rejoice because of the promises that God has given us, because of the hope that we have. But how do you know if your faith is really genuine? Now, remember, there are two kinds of faith in, in the Scriptures. There is saving faith. That's what you need to become a believer. And there's only one way that you can uh, be saved. 
And that's by placing your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for your eternal life. By placing your faith in the substitutionary death of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who died for you, rose again victorious from the grave over death and over sin, he is victorious. And if you will admit you are a sinner who needs forgiveness, and if you will call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you and rose again, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's saving faith. Now, uh, Gigi and I had uh, a dinner with uh, an old friend of mine the other night, uh, somebody I hadn't seen in uh, maybe 20 years, I think it's been since I'd, since I'd seen him. And he was talking about uh, people that he knows, a couple of people that he knows who have left the faith, have wandered from the faith. The Apostle Paul warns uh, that in the latter days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons. That was, that was prophesied. But the faith is different than your faith. The faith is the system. The faith is what we are proclaiming tonight. I was born into the faith, but I was not born with saving faith. At some point in my life, and for me, it was as a child, I had to respond by faith to the message that I had been hearing over and over again. I had to put my own faith in it. There are many people who think and call themselves Christian. They think they're a Christian. They call themselves Christian because they've grown up in church. They've grown up in a family of faith. They've grown up in, quote, end quote, the faith, but they've never genuinely placed their faith. They may have prayed a prayer. They may, somebody said, repeat after me, and they might as well have said abracadabra because they really didn't understand. They really didn't know what they were trusting or what they were saying. So you don't really know what you believe until it's tested. That's why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 says, examine yourself to see whether ye be in the faith. Test yourself. Make sure that you believe you yourself in your heart what everybody around you. It's easy when you're in the culture, when you're in the bubble, the church bubble, to say, oh yeah, I agree. Oh yeah, I believe that. But it's, it's when it's tested that you know that you know that you really believe it. I've shared with you the story of the uh, high-wire uh, trapeze artist uh, uh, Blondin, who uh, many years ago uh, put a wire across uh, Niagara Falls and uh, walked across it to uh, cheering crowds. And then, I don't even know if you'd be allowed to do this today. You know, I mean, I'm sure if you had the uh, uh, sufficient safety measures in place. But uh, when you're just out there, life and death. And then he said, how many of you think I can push a wheelbarrow across? And of course, the crowd cheered. And so he did it. He pushed a wheelbarrow across. How many of you think I can push a wheelbarrow? I think they did it with bricks and he did it with bricks. How many of you think I can push a, a wheelbarrow with a with a human being? Everybody said, yes, you can do it, blonde, and we believe in you. Do I have any volunteers? I, I, I've read, uh, if this is true or not, I read that um, one man, his manager, agreed. I guess he figured life or death, I, I'm riding this to the, to the end, and, and if I get in and, and then make him famous, then I'll, I'll, get the, uh, I'll get the rewards of that. See, it's easy to say, oh, I believe, I believe, but, but do you really believe? Now, that's saving faith, but let's talk about serving faith for a minute. 
Because as Christians, we still need to walk by faith. The just shall live by his faith. So we, we're saved. We're born again. We have, we have a, a new life, a new heart. We are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. We're to live by faith. And we read the Bible and we quote the Bible. But as James says, if you are a hearer of the word, but not a doer, you're deceiving yourself. Jesus said, if uh, any man hear my words, doesn't put them into practice, you're building your life in a flood zone. But if you will put my words into practice, you're building your life, your house on a rock. How do I know that I really believe what I say I believe if it has not yet been tested? And so as Christians, as some, we're not talking about those who are not saved, those who may not be saved, or, or you know, they're not sure if they're saved. I'm talking about those of, those of us who we know that we know that there was a time in our life where we were all in on Jesus. We placed our faith in, in Christ and Christ alone, his death, his resurrection for our salvation. He's forgiven us. And yet, even as his children, how many times do we still stumble and fall in our faith and we don't put into practice the things that we say we believe. We say, prayer works. Well, where is everybody? Where is everybody? If we say prayer, now listen, I, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir, number one. And number two, I know there are people at work. I know there are people that got um, other, other commitments. I understand. I know there are people sick. I know there are people who would be here if they could be here. I understand all that. But what I am saying, if we say that, that God uh, answers corporate prayer, but then we don't act like it, it doesn't mean we're not saved, but God is testing our faith. God is testing us. Do you really believe what you say you believe? Now, we're going to look in Genesis chapter 39 tonight at a very familiar story about a man who had all the excuses in the world to give in to sin and to live by the flesh, but instead he lived by faith. He walked by faith. I want to talk to you tonight about staying faithful. Now, last time we were together in Genesis, we looked at the life of Judah. Remember, Judah, Joseph's older brother, one of his older brothers, the fourth brother, actually, the, from from the top, right? The fourth born brother anyways. And Judah was the brother who came up with the idea of settling Joseph into slavery. And then uh, over the course of, of give or take about 20 years, God tracks us through Judah's life and, and gives us a brief overview of some of his failures and, and uh, some of the things that God allowed him to fail in so that God could then have this uh, come to Jesus moment in a courtroom where he's uh, accusing his daughter-in-law of uh, unfaithfulness and wants her to be burned alive. And then she produces the evidence that um, actually you're the daddy. You're going to burn yourself alive, Judah. And Judah recants and Judah admits, OK, she's been more faithful than me. And that was the turning point in Judah's life. And then when we get to the end of the book of Genesis, we see Judah is now being praised. There's been a transformation in his heart through that encounter. But that 
that a story of Judah and Tamar is set intentionally right before, because now we have to go back in time. Now Moses is taking us back in time and said, okay, we, I showed you what happened with Judah, but let's step back in time and look at what was happening in Joseph's life. And he's going to contrast the story of Judah and Tamar with the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And as we begin to consider the trials of Joseph, I want to just very quickly give you a, a brief overview of two of the big life lessons that we're going to see tonight and we're going to continue to see as we continue through the book of Genesis together. Two great life lessons that are learned from the trials of Joseph. And I'm not sure if I have these in the PowerPoint or not, but we're going to cover them very quickly. Number one, God's purposes are beyond our understanding. Joseph's life and testimony is a reminder that God's purposes are beyond our understanding. So God doesn't command you to understand him. He commands you to trust him. That's what I'm trying to communicate to my son right now. I'm not expecting you to understand why we give you the rules that we give you. I'm expecting you to learn to trust me. And I, I want him to learn that from us because he needs to learn that with God. And if we struggle with mom and dad who we see, how can we get it right with God who we cannot see? But God tells us in Isaiah, listen, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways and thoughts are so much higher because God sees the whole picture. God says, I declare the end from the beginning. And what we see in the life of Joseph and, and many, many other men and women of faith in the scriptures is that the Lord is using and allowing various trials in our lives to accomplish his purposes. God is using our trials to accomplish his purposes. And we don't want to be on the trial block. We, we don't want to be the one that God is using in a trial to accomplish his purpose. We're all for being a servant in the spotlight. We're all for being a servant who gets the accolades or who gets all the good gifts. But we don't understand that sometimes the trial is the gift. The suffering is the gift because of how God is using it. And of course, Job is the no-brainer obvious example of that. But Joseph is going to be an example of that as well. When we get to the end of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 50, spoiler alert, because I'm guessing, uh, looking around the room, most of you already know this story. You know how it's, the story is going to end. If not, you can go home and read it yourself. I'm not holding anything, you know, I'm not trying to have some big plot twist here at the end of our series. But jo uh, Jacob is going to die, and uh, Joseph's brothers are going to think, okay, Joseph's been waiting until dad's dead to get his revenge. And they're going to come before him and Joseph is going to say, guys, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Look at what look at where God put me. Why would I be mad at you? Why would I not forgive you? Look at what God has done for me and for you. And so sometimes God uses our trials to benefit others. And sometimes God uses our trials to benefit even the people that have caused the trial. But always the Lord is using our trials to benefit us. Always. How do I know that? Because Paul says 
And we already know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. So God's purpose is beyond our understanding. Just expect that God's going to, you're going to end up in a trial and you have no idea. You have no idea why you got there, how you got there, why it hurts so much, why it hurts so long. You have no idea. And God says, trust me, because I see the big picture. And the apostle Paul says, and I shared this with somebody just this week. I said, look, I do not have any authority to, to tell you this. I, I'm not speak, but God is telling you. God is telling you that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us, in us, not just to us or for us, but in us. God is faithful. And God, here's the second thing I want you to see. God blesses those who are faithful. God blesses those who are faithful. We're going to see in Genesis tonight, Genesis 39, 1 through 6, Joseph was forsaken but still faithful. Genesis 39, 7 through 23, Joseph was framed, but still faithful. And Genesis 40, which uh, Lord willing we'll get to next week, Joseph was forgotten, but still faithful. And by the way, who else do we know was forsaken, but still faithful? Framed, but still faithful and forgotten. He came unto his own, his own received him not, Jesus Christ. Joseph is going to be an example to us of Jesus Christ. He could not know that in the trial. He could not have any way of knowing that. But we know that. We know that today. And so Genesis 39, forsaken and framed but still faithful, five keys tonight to staying faithful specifically in temptation because while there are many trials that Joseph faced. The trial that we consider here tonight is the trial of temptation. Let's look Genesis 39 verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. This was no uh, uh, common Egyptian here. This was a man in political power, military power, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites. Remember, not only was Joseph betrayed by his brothers, but he was betrayed into the hands of his like extended family, the Ishmaelites, who came from, guess who? Ishmael, okay? So this, it's all in the family here. These are Ishmael's descendants who are now taking into slavery one of Abraham's descendants. But, verse 2, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. God was making him a prosperous slave. So a couple things from these few verses. Number one, remember that the Lord is with you in your trial. The Lord is with you. God is with you in the trial. God has promised us, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You don't see him. I, I saw on, uh, I think it was Facebook the other day. Uh, I've seen this meme before, but it, it was timely and that what I'm preaching on tonight. And it said that if you don't hear God during your test, just remember when the teacher gives the test, the teacher sits back quietly while you take the test. 
if God is quiet or seems quiet during your trial, during your test, it's because he is looking to see what you have learned. He's looking to see if you're going to trust him, if you're going to believe him, if you're going to be there with him. Because he's there with you. And the second thing I would tell you is to view your trial, whatever it is, and all your trials as training, as training. What do you mean? Well, look, look at verse three. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him and he made him overseer over his house and all that he had, he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Look over at verse 21. And the Lord was with Joseph. This is after he's put in prison, okay? Getting a little ahead, but listen. The Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it prosper. See, God is training Joseph as the head slave. He's not free. He can't just go home. He can't go back to dad. He's a slave. But God has prospered him so much so that Potiphar is putting him in charge of the whole house. And it said, I, I love the way Moses writes it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, Potiphar had so much trust, trust in Joseph that the only thing he knew that he had for sure was whatever food was on his plate. He didn't care about what, what was in the cupboards. He didn't care what was in the coffers because he knew that Joseph was trustworthy. Why did God bless him? Because he was faithful. He was trustworthy. He didn't use his circumstances as an excuse to be a thief, as an excuse to be a complainer, as an excuse to be a lazy slave, as an excuse to be a blasphemer. Remember, I, I, I have no, I'm not taking shots at, at Job's wife because everything Job went through, other than the actual physical uh, uh, boils on his skin, she went through too. And her response was, just curse God and die. Just get it over with. God has abandoned us. And Job said, you're speaking like a foolish woman. Now, I, I'm, I'm not cursing her because, uh, because she was in incredible pain. I cannot imagine what she went through with the loss of all of her children, not to mention a loss of all of her possessions. I can't imagine what the grief that she was experiencing, Job being the target. But Job, as the head of the house, had to be the one to make the decision. He had to be the one. The responsibility fell on him. And he had to say, I'm not going to be foolish. Listen, I came naked into this world, and God may take me out of this world, but I'm, whether he takes me out today or tomorrow, I'm, I'm going naked out of this world. You can't take anything with you. You can put on a nice dress or a nice suit in that, in that casket, but you're not taking it with you to where you are. And guess what? If you're a Christian, you don't need it. You don't need it where you're headed. You don't need it where you're going anyways. So what is God doing? 
he's preparing him in Potiphar's house for the palace. He's preparing him in the prison for the palace. Where else are you going to find a better place to train for politics than the prison? Okay? You know what politicians are like. So God has him learning. Number one, he, he puts him in Potiphar's house so he can learn the politics of Egypt. So he can learn, he can watch and observe Potiphar and, and understand the customs and understand the laws and understand how the court system works and how the court of Pharaoh works. And then he has him in the prison working with some corrupt people. And by the way, he's going to run into some people who work for who used to work for Pharaoh in the prison. And he's going to learn about Pharaoh and he's going to learn about he. But but Joseph doesn't know all this. Joseph doesn't know all this. Now, he's now he has dreams that he that he can that he knows that God gave him. So he has this he has this uh, prophetic anointing on his life that God has shown him what is in the future. But he's staying faithful even in the worst of circumstances and God and God is using those circumstances to prepare him. I can see how and, and far from being a slave, okay? And far from being a prisoner when I was a social worker, I can see how God used those uh, circumstances to prepare me for ministry and to prepare me uh, for confrontation. Because I was a very passive, non-confrontational person until I became a social worker. And I had to learn. And the first three months, I struggled. The first three months, I was just treading water. And I got the only really bad review. I, well, one of, I guess I should say one of the only bad reviews I've ever gotten by a supervisor. He sat me down, Steve Young, in his office. And Steve sat me down, great, uh, a godly man. Uh, as When I knew him, I, I don't know. I, I assume he's still a godly man. But... Steve said, you know, DJ, how you doing? And and where, what do you think you're doing? He was very gentle, but he's very direct. He said, basically said, you got to step up. You got to man up, DJ. And I realized I went home and I realized, OK, God's got me here for a reason. This is not where I want to be. I want to quit every day. But this is where God has me. So God wants me to be. I'm going to be the best, best God, worker that I can be. And I and, and another uh, three months after that, six months after that. One of one of my uh, direct supervisors who was right over me, he said, man, DJ, he said, you flipped a switch. You flipped a switch. You're he said, I, I mean, he said, I'm going to tell you, DJ, when you first start working here, I'd see your name on the schedule. And I think, oh, and he said, now I can trust you. And see, God was God was working through that situation to 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 completely change my mentality, my work ethic. God had me cleaning carpets for. Uh, uh, I think it was about three years, about three years with Ron Beatty. And I saw in Ron an incredible work ethic and that that at the time I still did not really have and and I learned how to get my hands dirty, literally, <laughs> and uh, had to learn some things before God put me in, in full time ministry again, because I had to learn those things. And Joseph's trials were training. Now, let me cover number three. Because you know what happens next if you know the story, verse 7. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto her, his master's wife, Behold, my master's what if not what is with me in the house? And he has committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Now there hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. 
How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He says, look, I'm more like a son than a slave. I got my right of the house. I don't feel like a slave here. I know I can't just leave, but I can do whatever I want. And how can I sin against him? And how can I sin against God? And it came to pass, verse 10, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. In other words, he started to avoid her. He avoided her as much as he could. Um, it must have been a big house. This was a rich man, okay? I've been, as a carpet cleaner, I've been in some mansions. I've been in some big houses where you could get maybe get lost a little bit in the house. So he's trying to avoid her as much as he can. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men of the house there within because she had arranged it. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hands and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand that he was fled forth. And she called unto the men of the house and spake unto them saying, see, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home, and she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me, and it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. It came to pass when his master heard these words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did the servant to me, that his wrath was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were, and he was there in the prison. Now, when I was growing up, my youth pastor, Jeff, uh, Jeff Roy, some of you know Jeff, um, he believed that Potiphar did not believe his wife for one moment, that he was angry at her, otherwise he would have had Joseph executed instead of imprisoned. And we, we obviously can't be dogmatic about that. But um, I, I'm sure Potiphar was smart enough to know that uh, his wife was no um, innocent bystander. Regardless, what we do know is that he got mad and he got Joseph out and put him into prison. Now, here's what I want to point out tonight. Beware the snares that the devil's going to set for you and know your enemy. Satan has schemes. He has strategies against you. The Apostle Paul tells us we are not unaware of his schemes. We're not unaware of his strategies. He says that the devil has wiles. The, the Greek word, King James says wiles. The Greek word is uh, the word for strategies. He has strategies that he sets up. How am I going to take down DJ, how am I going to derail DJ? If he can't get to me, he's going to try to come at my wife. If he can't get my wife, he's going to try to come after my son. He's going to try to come after the deacons and their wives. He's going to try to come after Pastor Nate and come after Pastor, uh, 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 Pastor Nate and come after Albina. And if he can't get us, he's going, to try to hit, he's going to try to get to the ministry heads. He's going to get in any way he can to try to bring a, a defeat, discouragement, deception, so we have to expect it and we have to be on guard for it. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around seeking whom he may devour. Don't be the weak link. Don't be the easy target. 
Don't be the one that the devil can attack. Now, let me give you, uh, I'm not going to unpack any of these, okay? But let me just give you some ways that the devil's going to come at you. He's going to use fascination. What does that mean? He's going to use your desires, your own desires, the things you want. He's going to try to dangle them in front of you. Our desires are what lead us to sin, James chapter 1 says. Desires, when, we, when, we're, when they're not in control, when they're not in check, they, they conceive and bring forth sin, and sin always leads to death. Then he's going to try to use exploitation. He's going to try to deceive you. He's going to try to trick you. He's going to, try to, be, he's going to use others to betray you, which is what happened to Joseph. His own brothers betrayed him. His own family betrayed him. He was used. He was betrayed. Some of you have been used. Some of you have been betrayed. Even by people in your own family, you've been betrayed. And Satan is trying to use that exploitation to pull you into sin. Number three, he uses isolation. Joseph was completely isolated. He was completely isolated from godly influence. Completely. Dad thinks he's dead. Dad's in another country. He's a slave. He can't go everywhere he wants to go. He can't go really anywhere he wants to go. He wants to go home. He's been isolated by the enemy. And be very careful. There are times when you will have to be isolated. There are times when you will have to stand alone. You will, you will be Daniel having to stand alone. And whenever the devil gets you isolated, he's going to try to come at you. Whenever you find yourself isolated. So don't isolate yourself. Don't isolate yourself when you're struggling, when you're in pain, when, when you're grieving. Don't isolate yourself because there are times when you have to be isolated. But those are the times the devil's coming at you. Just be aware of it. He uses adaptation. What does that mean? He uses culture, peer pressure. Peer pressure doesn't stop when you graduate from high school, by the way. It doesn't stop when you get out of college or out of trade school. He uses peer pressure. It, uh, Joseph is in a foreign country, and, and he has all the excuses in the world, all the pressure in the world to give in. The devil's going to use determination. He's not going to give up easy. He's not just going to put one or two traps out. I mean, when, when we finally got rid of the mice that were in our attic, and then we found out we're in the garage attic as well, and apparently there was a little doorway there. They could traffic back and forth. We closed that up. We didn't just put out one poison trap. Started out, I put out the wrong trap, and I put them all over the attic, and they caught zero. I was so happy. I heard, I heard a snap. And um, I went up to check, and, and that mouse was so smart, it, it, yeah, it triggered the trap, but it wasn't in it. So I had to, uh, so I had to switch. I had to get a little more. I didn't want to. I wanted a nice quick death, but I, okay, you forced me into use poison. We use poison. And I just put one trap up there. I just want put one trap in the attic. Put them all. I'll put them all around. The devil's not just going to try to set one trap for you. You, 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 you missed the trap. Oh, look, devil tried. You tried to get me, devil. I got you. And then you put it back on cruise control. Uh-uh. Friend, he's going to use debilitation. What does that mean? He's coming at you when you're tired. He's coming at you when you're sick. He's coming at you when you're exhausted because you've been doing God's work. We saw that in Elijah's life, the prophet. It was when he was exhausted and tired after a day of fighting God's battle that Jezebel came at him 
and he turned tail and ran. And when we are weak, when we are tired, listen, you got to be you got to be aware of that. And and here's the last thing I'll give you. He, he uses intensification. He's going to come as hard at you as he can. He's going to use powerful pressure to sin. He, he didn't just say have to say no to Potiphar's wife one time or two times or ten times. He had to say it over and over. He had to try to reroute his day. He had to try to replan his schedule to avoid temptation. And if you're not willing to go to those lengths, then you're not going to escape all the traps. And this, these are sexual traps in this text, but the devil uses financial traps. He uses traps of, of bitterness and anger. He uses traps of, of, of self-absorption and entitlement. And so fill in the blank for me. I am most, don't, not out loud in your heart, okay? But fill in the blank for me. I am most susceptible to sin when I am tired, stressed, being treated unfairly. When somebody's mistreating me, I, that's when I'm most vulnerable because I'm feeling that, that tension. Now, how do you resist temptation? Well, we read it already. How can I do this to Potiphar? And how can I do this to God? What was Joseph displaying? Humility. You know how you resist temptation? Number one, you remember God is with you. But then number two, you humble yourself before God and before man. I think about the consequences of my sin on somebody else. I do the math. I take the time to do the math. What if, how will this impact but see, what we do is we don't we don't think about others. We don't think about their feelings. We don't think about when 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 the devil gets us locked in. We don't think about others. We only think about ourselves. We only see one side of the story. But ultimately, we have to humble ourselves before God. This is what Peter says this is what James says. You're going to if you're going to go up against the devil, you better humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Because if you have pride, you're already beaten. The devil's already got you. If you come at if, if you come at temptation and you're proud, he's already got you. He he's he's jabbing you with the left, but he's setting you up for the right hook. The right hook's coming. You're like, oh man, he can't get me with that jab. And the right hook is coming. I remember watching I don't remember why we were watching, but mom and dad and I were watching some, it was sort of like an amateur boxing thing. And this guy got clocked, and he went up like a, I mean, it, he stiffened up like a, like a tree and fell down like a tree. And he was fine, which is why it was funny, okay? It was only funny because he was fine. But that's what the devil does. He, he, you get set up. He sets you up. you gotta, you got to humble yourself. you got to think about others, not yourself. And you got to, number one, think about God. Is this worth Jesus paying for this on the cross? What I'm about to do? Is this worth the pain and agony that I'm putting on the cross for him? Because he paid for my sin. So I'm going to, I'm, is this worth, I'm thinking about this. I want to do this. I want to say this. I want to react this way. Humble yourself before God. And then let me close with this. You got to know when to hold him. And know when to fold them. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. Number five, you got to run from sin before you give in. 
you got to run. Whatever the cost. Sometimes it means you quit the job. Sometimes it means you take a loss. You take a hit. To, to distance yourself from a situation. Somet sometimes it means you, you, you break off that friendship. Sometimes it means you unfriend that person. Sometimes it means you have to pay the price. You have to know when to cut and run. Because Joseph knew if he stayed, he was done. And, and, and none of this is about how pretty was she or how... That, that's not the point. The point was he's a dude. He's a man fighting every man's battle in a foreign country. And there's a woman who, she must, have, um, she must have been okay. She was married to a very powerful man. She must have been, uh, you know, eye candy. She must have been looking good on the arm of the captain of the guard. And Joseph knew his limits. And there was a time when Joseph said, I, I have just got, I've got to run. It may cost me my life, but better that than to give account for sin before God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, flee also youthful lusts. There comes a time where you don't fight it, you just run. You get away from it, whatever the cost. Follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now look, I don't know what temptation you're fighting today, but I know you got a temptation. We all do. We're all sinners. So remember that the Lord is with you. View the trials you're going through as training. Not, God's not abandoning you. God's not punishing you. He may be disciplining you, but Joseph wasn't being disciplined necessarily that we know of. Know that the enemy set traps for you. Resist that temptation with humility towards man and God. And then if you feel like you're going to give in, you better run. You better run. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, this incredible testimony of this incredible man of faith. And Father, we look forward to the day when we will get to know Joseph as our brother. And God, um, what a privilege it is to be uh, part of the spiritual family of God and uh, to be brothers and sisters with all these amazing men and women of faith. But God, as you said of Elijah, Elijah was a man just like us. Joseph was a man just like us. And so God, help us to learn from uh, the uh, faithfulness of Joseph, that we might be faithful to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As the guys come. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301 724 5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.